0: scripture today is Ephesians 3, 14 through 21. When I think of all this, I fall to my knees and pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and on earth. I pray that from his glorious, unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep His love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it's too great to understand fully, then you'll be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Now all glory to God, who is able, through His mighty power at work within us, to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. The word of the Lord.
1: This summer, we've been invited to pray. We said at the beginning of this series to pray is to come home, to walk in the front door and kick off your shoes and find a cozy corner and just share your heart with Jesus as you would a friend. Jesus is so much more than a friend, but as Pastor John, I believe, said, he's never less. Today begins the last three weeks of our series on prayer. We have looked at the Old Testament Israelite prayers, We looked at Jesus' prayers. And today for these last three weeks, we're gonna turn our attention to those power prayers of the apostles. And the prayer you just heard uh, Sarah read is from the book of Ephesians written by the apostle Paul. Maybe you need a little refresher course or maybe you've never heard of the apostle Paul. Let me tell you a little bit about him. Paul was a Pharisee who ruthlessly persecuted the early church. He thought that followers of Jesus were heretics to the faith and needed to be not only arrested, but often stoned or killed. And he did much to carry out those threats. He was tenacious and he was powerful. And then he encountered a power far beyond his own. In the book of Acts, it is recorded that uh, Paul was on his way. Saul, actually, was his name before he gets it changed. He was on his way to arrest more Christians. He was determined. He had his group of, uh, I want to call them thugs with him, (laughs) his groupies with him, and they were on their way, and all of a sudden, a blind light appears, and he blinds Paul, or he's blinded immediately, and a voice says to him, Paul, why, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Saul can't see a thing, and he's grappling around and he just says, who are you? I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Paul at that point would remain blind for three days. His companions had to take him back into the city and uh, lead him around. He would neither eat nor drink for the next several days. In the meantime, God has called a follower of Christ, a man named Ananias, to go and visit Paul and lay his hands upon this man that he could be restored and see again. Now, Ananias seems like the kind of guy who probably is usually just spot on ready to obey. He had a few reservations this time. (laughs) Yeah, he says, uh, it's recorded, he says, but Lord, I have heard terrible things. About what this man has done to believers in Jerusalem. Do you remember Jesus telling his disciples, I no longer call you servants, but I call you friends because I let you in on everything that the Father is doing? And so, right now, God lets Ananias in on what he's doing. He doesn't keep it secret. So he tells him what's going on with Paul even before Paul knows what's going on. He says, I have chosen Paul to take the good news, the gospel that he's fighting against. I've chosen him to take it to all the Gentiles in the region. He will suffer much in the process of completing that assignment. So Ananias went, he found Saul, he laid hands on him, his sight was restored, and Paul would spend the next 20 plus years of his life taking that good news everywhere that God led him to go. And over the years, he experienced the protective power of God. He experienced the life-changing power of God. I mean, talk about an about face of who he was to who he is now. He experienced God's power in miraculous healings, in, in jail cells being open and chains falling off, and yes, he would suffer greatly um, at the hands of those just like him who fought against him every step of the way, but Paul was unstoppable until Christ took him home. This man is the man who in the later part of his ministry, about probably about three or four years, they think, before his death, wrote this book, this letter to the church in Ephesus. It was a church that he established on one of his missionary journeys and he cared deeply for the people in that church. Paul just oozes the spirit in this letter. I I encourage the first service, and I'll encourage you to just go home and swim in Ephesians 1, 2, and 3 all week long. You won't be sorry. Just dive in and just swim there because it's such an abundance that we see that God wants to pour into our lives. Well, about 20 years ago, there was a very popular book called Simple Abundance. I think it was one of Oprah's first books that she made go viral or big or whatever, okay? And I got that book, I was in my 30s, I grabbed that book and I read it, I love it. Still on my shelf, I still pull it off for inspiration. But what I remember is that as I was reading this book called Simple Abundance, I was also in the book of Ephesians, studying that book. And I wrote in my Bible, now here is the true book on abundance. Listen to some of the phrases in chapter one. Listen, oh, sorry. Uh, Paul says, God blesses us with every spiritual blessing. He loved us, chose us, adopted us through Jesus. This is not only what he wanted to do, but it gave him great pleasure. God is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom, forgave our sin, showered us with kindness, and lavished us with all wisdom and understanding. Wow, do you hear that abundance language there? Continues right on in chapter two. But God is so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much, that even though we were dead because of our sins, He gave us life when Christ was raised from the dead. And not only did he give us life, but he goes on to say, and God has has seated us with Christ in the heavenly realms. God can point to us, Paul said, in all future generations as examples of his incredible wealth of kindness and grace. God has saved us that famous... Uh, Paul Rosen still told me after the first service that Ephesians 2, 8, 9 is, is, is his life verse. And it's that verse that tells us we've been saved by grace. That's what we've been saved by and that we can take no credit for it whatsoever. It is gift poured out from God that no one can boast. You can't earn it. It is gift. By chapter three in this letter, in light of all that God has done, all that, God, or that Paul talks about in chapter one and chapter two, Paul falls to his knees in prayer. He says, I just, I pray this for you. I pray that God, out of his glorious, unlimited resources, will empower you in your inner being through the Holy Spirit, Kneeling is, a, is kind of a break from the typical prayer posture in the New Testament. There are really just two postures that you read about most often in the Bible, either standing upright or prostrate in the ground. But once in a while, we just see this uh, reference to kneeling. This is one of them. And when people knelt in that culture, it was usually because they were in the presence of someone great who had authority, and they were seeking favor from this person. So here you've got the Apostle Paul kneeling. But I want to tell you two other instances in the Old New Testament where you see kneeling. Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. He is kneeling in that moment. Stephen in the book of Acts, when he is in the process of being stoned, he is praying for the people around him on his knees. What we see here is that Paul is passionate for the Ephesians to receive from the giver of all good gifts, all that God wants for them. He so wants that after all that Paul has been through, the shipwrecks, the beatings, the stonings, being chased out of town. Mike, can you imagine being chased out of town for doing ministry? You never know what's gonna happen. You never know. You're right, but I just encourage you, somebody after first service told me, tell Mike that if he gets chased out of town, he can come to my place, I'm in Milwaukee, so (laughs) just a little encouragement for you there. But after all that Paul has been through, we find him at this late stage of ministry still oozing wonder and joy and hope. Today, people seem to really be struggling with faith, to hold on to their faith. We have seen too many, even seasoned pastors, throwing in the towel. Sometimes just from church experience, they've needed to walk away to regain their health. But other times, even walking away from the faith. There seems to be little expectation or little hope that God may yet do something magnificent and amazing in our world. But let's look at the Apostle Paul. Here he is and he's a little bit like the old Timex commercial, he's taking a licking and keep on ticking, right? (laughs) He's still going after it and I just love that and I think there's so much for us to pay attention to and ask why. What kept him this excited about who God is? Well, he prays for three things for the Ephesians. He prays that, they, that God will empower them with inner strength through the Spirit. Two, he prays that they will have the power to actually understand, not just a little bit, but understand how wide and long and high and deep is his love. And then three, he takes that a step further to say, he prays that they'll experience the love of Christ, though it's far too great for anyone to fully understand. And where is all of this that Paul is praying for? Where's it supposed to come from? Are the Ephesians supposed to gear up and grit their teeth and make it happen? No. Ephesians, or chapter, verse one, it says, God, from your glorious unlimited resources, That's where all this comes from. It's not person generated, it's God generated. And he will pour it into our lives through the Holy Spirit. What Paul models for us right here, and I think in so many prayers in his books, he models access and boldness. He's not afraid to ask God for the whole enchilada. He loves these people. And I hope that we love one another in a way that that we pray that we will experience experience God in all of God's fullness. Paul believes that God will pour out his mercy and goodness and grace and love to all believers. He believes Psalm 23 that said, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. Now this strength that Paul prays for is not a brute strength physical strength, although we need that sometimes too. But Paul prays for an inner strength. I don't know if you have observed this, but I feel like I've never encountered so many people who feel so worn out, who are discouraged, who are, are kind of flagging in, in their inner being. And I um, wonder why that is when so many jobs and professions require less and less physical demand from people. I think it's because we exist in a world that's taking a toll on our inner being. We've got access. We've got all this static around us. We've got constant information coming at us, twenty-four-seven, if we want it. And I uh, discourage you, but twenty-four-seven news were just terrible. Image after image after image can fill our minds. We have the noise that Pastor Mike talked about last week just swirling around us. We have perhaps in your job you feel the expectation of instant instant response, instant results, because this world is moving so fast with all the technology. We have at the click of a button comparison, right? We can compare every industry, every church, to any other, but any other industry or church in America or the world. Then you add that, do you know that the average adult American uh, makes 35,000 decisions a day? Oh, does that not sound exhausting? I told Mike, if you throw a church remodel on top of that, I'm sure it goes up to 50,000 right there. <laughs> so if Mike looks a little more tired than usual, just give him some grace there. We'll get through this, Mike. You keep telling us. We're going to tell you, too. We're going to get through this. (laughs) And that's just kind of the static around us all the time. It's exhausting. And then there's the big stuff, the weighty stuff like wars and natural disasters, poverty, pandemics, evil people. There's an inner weariness. And so we need to pay attention, I think, to this particular phrase, this particular prayer of Paul's, when he says, Lord, pour out from your unlimited resources through your spirit an inner strength for your people. When you see the word inner being in scripture, it refers to the whole core of who we are inside, our our intelligence, our will, and that emotional core that makes up who we are. And Paul says, that's where, reminds us, that's where the Holy Spirit lives. Right there in the core of us. With every breath, he is with us. Whenever we, when we've placed our faith in Jesus Christ, we get the Holy Spirit. In fact, remember Jesus told his disciples, they did not want him to leave, don't leave, stay here, stay here. I have to go, he said, because when I go, I'm gonna send you the Holy Spirit. For all people, you know, when Jesus was a man walking on the earth, he was a, just a man. He was not in a million places at once. He was in one locale. But when the Spirit came, we all have access to the Spirit of God to live within us, and He is called the Comforter, the Teacher, the Encourager, as close as every breath. sees me, that we take. Galatians 5:22 tells us that the Holy Spirit produces a certain fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. My friend, there's your strength. There's your strength. The Holy Spirit, when the Holy Spirit comes in to dwell with us, this, this is what the Spirit brings. And that is where our strength lies. They're not just admirable traits, they produce strength in our inner being. You want to face all that you've been asked to face in life? You want to survive the swirl of everything that's coming at us? Rely on the Spirit, cultivate the fruit of the spirit to find your strength. Nehemiah told the people of Jeremiah, why do I keep saying that second time this morning? The book of Nehemiah, the prophet Nehemiah told the people of Israel when they were rebuilding the walls and they had enemies, No, they they had people around them that did not wanna see this project completed. They did not wanna see this happen. And what did Nehemiah say? He said, the joy of the Lord is your strength. In Colossians 1, Paul is praying there again, this time for the Colossian church. He prays that they too will be strengthened, and he connects that strength to patience and joy and gratitude. You know, I don't think those are things that our human mind automatically thinks of when we think of inner strength. We typically think more along the lines of, well, that person's a strong person. I need to be strong. I, that means I'm not gonna back down. I'm gonna grit my teeth. I'm gonna push through. I'm gonna be stoic. Show no fear. But in the upside down kingdom of Jesus, he says, no, no, no. That's not where your strength lies. Your strength lies in your inner being, in what the spirit produces, love, joy, joy peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. That's where our strength lies. What strengthens any muscle, whether it's physical or spiritual? Exercise. Yes, exercise, tension, lifting weights. Even Christians, uh, oh, I and so in other words, like you said, exercise, practice, right? So, So practice the fruits of the spirit, practice love, practice kindness, practice faith. Uh, A gentleman after Chip, he told me if I use this, I had to give him credit. I loved it. He said, you don't have to pay me, but if you just give me credit. Doesn't that sound like Chip? And so he said, uh, he said, in high school, I had three coaches and they all told me this quote. He said, I don't know if it was the famous coaching quote of the time or what, but they all told him, practice the way you want to perform, and then you will perform the way you practice. Isn't that good? So we can practice the way that we wanna live, we can practice love, we can practice patience, we can practice praying for the spirit to develop those in our lives. I think even Christians get hoodwinked sometimes thinking that our strength, the the things that are gonna keep us stable in this life are outside of ourselves. They're the trappings of maybe prestige or you know, finances, our jobs, our uh, being able to get on top and stay there when, reality, when in reality, if those are our focus, if that's where we uh, place our, our energies, they're gonna wear us down to nubbins if you want a strong inner life, if you wanna walk through and hang on to your faith, cultivate the fruit of the Spirit. Verse 17 looks at the result of God strengthening us in our inner being with the Spirit. He said, when that happens, then Christ will make his home in our heart as we trust in him. There seems to be a direct correlation in how much God can pour of himself into our lives, how much God can do and develop in us. There's a correlation between that and how much we trust. How many of you have ever gone on a whitewater rafting trip? Oh, good. Many of you. Okay. Well, I was pretty nervous on my first trip at 23 years old. Partly because, you know, I had first timers' uh, nervousness, and also because I was responsible for 10 students with me. And so I, yeah, right? Okay, so I listened, even though the kids weren't particularly listening, I really listened to what the instructor had to say about what to do if you got thrown into the river, into the rapids. And so I listened intently, and sure enough, at one point, not very far into this rafting trip, Uh, The the rapids uh, took the back of the the raft where I was sitting and swung it up hard on the river bank. And I just catapulted into the water. Yeah, can I just tell you, Oregon mountain water is cold. (laughs) Cold, cold, cold. That was my first summer in Oregon. Boy, did I find out. So I hit the water. And as soon as I kind of got over the jolt of uh, of it being so freezing cold, I tried to remember, okay, what did he say, what did he say, what did he say? And thankfully, it was right there, because the instructor said, if you get thrown into the rapids, don't fight it. Just relax. Put your feet up, lay back, and then from that point on, it's my job to do all the work. I will come alongside. we're gonna come alongside you and rescue you (sighs) okay (laughs) sure okay so but that is what I did I trusted that this guy knew what he was talking about I got to know him better later and I'm not sure I would have trusted him as much later (laughs) love him love him love him but he's quite a risk taker but uh, pretty soon and, and that water moved me away from that raft so fast and so there, I, I couldn't see him and then, but pretty soon I saw that raft coming out of the corner of my eye and they threw me the rope and missed it the first time. They threw it again and then they pulled me to safety. The instructor had said, if you try to save yourself, if you stand up and fight the water, you can so easily get your foot caught in the rocks and end up with a broken leg or worse, that water can push you under and you can't get back up easily. So that made it a little easier to to trust the option. If those were the options, I think I'll just listen to what he said. And off we went. Sometimes life throws us into the fast swirling waters, doesn't it? Yeah. We have to know what to do in that moment. Because those moments move us so fast away from everything that feels safe and secure. Jesus was asleep in the boat when a very nasty storm hit on the Sea of Galilee. He was sleeping, the disciples were not. And they woke Jesus up and I have always been struck by their words in the Mark account. They said, Jesus, wake up don't you care that we're drowning? Don't you care what's going on? Don't you care that we're about to go under and drown? And I thought, oh boy, isn't that so often our first reaction when we get catapulted into the fast-moving waters of life? Jesus, where are you? Don't you care about me? And then I remember I'm struck also by the words of Jesus' back to his disciples, after he woke up and stretched and rubbed the sleep out of his eyes, he said, why are you so afraid? Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? And then he calmed the waters and he did his Jesus thing. And I think after all that they had seen Jesus do, raise people from the dead, feed thousands with one little lunch, cast out demons they still panicked when the storms threatened made me feel a little bit about better about myself because i too panic sometimes in the midst of those kind of storms but here's the deal those same disciples would grow in faith and trust when the holy spirit came to them and they would become Strong, powerful witnesses of Jesus Christ in the world. And I think that Jesus says the same thing, uh, the same words used by my rafting instructor. Okay, if you get thrown in the rapids, just relax. Trust that I'm gonna come get you. And I love the way he said at, end. at that point, when you're in the deep end and the rapids are swirling, the work from that point on is mine. I think that's what Jesus says to us in our toughest moments. Don't try to save yourself, you're gonna break a leg or worse. Just relax, pretty soon you're gonna see me out of the corner of your eye and I'm gonna come. The rest of verse 17 leads on into 18 and 19. As we trust in Christ and Christ makes his home deeper and deeper in our lives, this is what happens. Paul writes, your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. There's fruit of the Spirit tied with strength again. God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it's way too great to fully understand. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. What Paul is so passionately praying for here is far more than a head knowledge of Christ's love. May you experience the love of Christ. Experience is the key word there. To understand anything, including God, knowledge of course is necessary, but knowledge is one thing dimensional I have known I've had head knowledge about welcome home outreach down in Mexico for 15 years our church has uh, we've supported that ministry we've uh, sent funds every month to help the work there my own son went and served twice in his teen years so I've had that head knowledge great organization in July I experienced it completely different. I sweat alongside, sweat just dripping into my eyes alongside the family as we built their home. I heard their laughter. I tasted their food, saw their smiles. I witnessed the needs of that community, how great they were. I saw firsthand the hard work of the Welcome Home staff. And so now I have a multi-layered, multi-dimensional understanding of the experience that is welcome home. Paul prays the Ephesians will experience Christ's love. Jesus was reclining at the dinner table. An influential Pharisee had invited him and many people over that evening, but he was still skeptical about Jesus. And during the evening, a woman of questionable morals walked in and she came to Jesus and she began to wet his feet with her hair or with her tears and dry his feet with her hair. And Simon, observing the whole thing, thought, "Uh uh-huh. Yeah, if you were really a prophet, you would know what kind of a woman is touching you. And he assumed that if Jesus knew what kind of a woman she was, he wouldn't let her touch him. Jesus looks at him and he knows exactly what he's thinking. And he says, Simon, let me tell you a story. There were two men who owed a debt to a third man. And one man's debt was so small and the other man's debt was substantial. And the man chose to forgive both of them. Now who, Simon, do you suppose loved the man more when this was over? And Simon said, Well, I suppose the man who, uh, the one with the greater debt, the one who had more forgiven. And Jesus said, Yep, you've answered correctly. And then he began to compare Simon and this woman. Simon had a head knowledge. Oh, boy, did he have head knowledge about who God was. But this uneducated woman had a PhD in experience. She had encountered Jesus and he changed her life. See, she knew her debt. She knew how large her debt was in the face of a holy God. And what she experienced from Christ was forgiveness and grace and acceptance and love and safety. And it changed her profoundly. Paul wants his friends to taste the incredible depth of Christ's love. Perhaps you're here today and you, you've done that. You have already grappled with the fact that Jesus left heaven on your account and mine. You've grappled with the fact that he poured out his life, gave his body and his blood to redeem us. You've recognized that sin broke your relationship with God and it may have broken so many other relationships along the way. And your experience of his love and his forgiveness, you've tasted the sweet release of guilt and shame. But maybe you're here this morning and you've not experienced the love of Jesus in that way. Would you know just two things? One, that you are completely and amazingly loved, deeply loved by Christ. But if all you have is head knowledge of Jesus, you're missing out. What you're experiencing is limited and God doesn't want you limited in his love. Paul prays that we not just taste, not just dip our toes in, but swim in the experience of Christ's love, ask that our roots go down so deep into his love that it will keep us strong no matter what storms come, no matter what we experience. This experience Paul ties in the next verse to completeness, to the fullness of God in our lives and to the power of God. One thing that is made so clear throughout the whole Old Testament is that love is absolutely core in the kingdom. uh, Love is core to experiencing the fullness of all that God wants us to experience. We miss so much if we settle for head knowledge alone. John, I think, used this uh, quote recently from C.S. Lewis. I just think it it bears repeating until we get it. C.S. Lewis wrote, we settle for playing in mud puddles in the ghetto when we've been invited to a vacation at the beach. We dabble in God's love when there's an ocean depth of it for us to experience. Verse 20 and 21 is the doxology of this section. And I think in it is such hope. Let's read it again. Now all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever, amen. Glory to God who is able. And God uses all that we've just explored, cultivating the fruit of the spirit within us, helping us trust in Jesus who will then make his home deeply in our hearts, and then experiencing that love in deeper ways for the rest of our days. And it's through all of this that God says He will accomplish infinitely more, far more than we can ask or think. So, Christian, can I just ask and encourage you today? Don't give up. And I know that that prayer just, it sounds, or at least it does to me, it just sounds kind of out there. It's so big and it's just so out here and I, I wanna share in as we move towards closing kind of a, a little bit of a different perspective to help us grapple with no, it's for all of us, okay? Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a man who knew the complexities of the Christian life. He was a scholarly pastor in World War II, fought against the Nazis in the midst of a very divided church. And he wrote, he observed, he said, people no longer seem to want to do great things. Where, he asked, is the combination of fine, abandoned and large-scale planning that goes with such a life that longs to do great things? And then partly in answer to his own question, he wrote, well, perhaps our lives can be fragments that only God can sort out and he'll consign some of those fragments to the dustbin dustbin, and the other fragments he will bring to completion. Their completion of the fragments can only be a matter for God, and so they must in our minds remain fragments. In other words, there's only so much that we can do, there's only so much that we can know. I think of Mike's words earlier that so much of life is mundane. And we have no idea what God is doing in in the kind of the spurts and the the growth of our lives. He's doing more than we think. Uh, Some uh, commentator took Bonhoeffer's words and he said it alongside this prayer. And he wrote, Paul is not proclaiming a triumphalist Christianity as so many think in this passage. He's providing prayers for witnesses and prisoners and martyrs of the gospel and all their friends. Everyone whose life is somehow fragments in need of sorting. The Christian virtues of faith, hope, and love can latch onto the fullness of God and find completion in God. Many people who we think of as the greats of the faith whether it be a John the Baptist or a Mother Teresa or Bonhoeffer, I want you to hear this. They experienced soaring faith and crushing doubts. They experienced victories and seeming defeats. I think for all of us, it's not hard to imagine this amazing prayer of how, how God can do infinitely more in the perfect lives of somebody else but not us. But guess what, God's never had a perfect life other than Jesus to work with. And he has done amazing things through believers in this world. Faith is believing that God can take each of us and all our fragments and do exceedingly more than we can ask or even imagine. Just don't give up. Keep at it, friend. Keep your faith, keep practicing. And that's why all glory belongs to God and not to us. Investment investors, our investment advisors encourage us in investments to take the long view, right? To not pull out of the market when there's a bear market, when things look bleak and dark, and we've just lost a chunk of change from retirement. Faith is very similar. Take the long view. Don't pull out. There are gonna be seasons when it looks like it is all falling apart, and even seasons when you may think faith was just a bad investment. And my friend, we listen to investment advisors and we listen to rafting instructors, <laughs> will we not listen to the words of Jesus who has the very words of life? If you desire a fuller experience of God, cultivate the fruit of the spirit. Just do that, just welcome, recognize God lives within you, close as your breath. He's doing a work that you can't do but you can practice what he's bringing into your life. Trust Jesus even in the rapids and pray to experience his love on a level of a PhD. I'm gonna invite you to stand as we move towards communion this morning. If you'd stand, I'm gonna ask you again to put out your hands in a posture of receiving and pray once again this prayer written, this breath prayer for this particular passage. Won't have, I won't do the breath part, I'm just gonna ask you to, to pray it with me. Come Holy Spirit, I receive your wisdom. Come Holy Spirit, I receive your strength. Come Holy Spirit, I receive your love. Come Holy Spirit, I receive the fullness of God.